Please note this podcast is intended to provide information and education and is not intended as medical, psychological, or psychiatric advice, and is not intended to provide diagnosis, treatment, prevention, cure, or guarantee. You should consult with a licensed or registered healthcare professional about your individual condition and circumstance. Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in. Today, we're sharing an episode from the archive with Serena Wolf and Katie Dalebout. This episode first launched in December 2019. In this episode, Serena and Katie talk about their experience navigating anxiety and the reason behind the launch of their podcast, Spiraling, which they wrapped their fourth season of in January. Give this episode a listen and tune in this Friday, March 10th at 12 p.m. Eastern on Instagram at Made Visible Stories, where I'll be chatting with Serena and Katie about how they've been managing their anxiety lately and what they're up to. Next week, we will be back with all new episodes with some really incredible guests, so be sure to tune in. Now, welcome Serena and Katie. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Katie, why don't you start? Okay. My name is Katie Dilbao, and I'm from Michigan, a small college town, and I'm a writer, podcaster, someone multi-hyphenate freelancer who does a bunch of things, creative person with a lot of projects, probably too many projects, which (laughs) probably doesn't do my anxiety any favors. But I've been hosting this podcast called Let It Out for a million years or since 2013. And I wrote a book by the same name, which is about journaling. And my work kind of centers around people expressing themselves creatively and feeling their feelings. And that's what I talk about on my podcast, which is a long form interview show. I encourage other people to start podcasts and even help people do that with a workshop that I host. It's like a writer's workshop, but for podcasters. And then, like I mentioned, I have a lot of anxiety. So Serena and I started this project together this year. That's one of my favorite things that I've ever done called Spiraling. And I'll let her introduce herself and then we can tell you more about that. (laughs) I'm Serena Wolf. I am a chef, cookbook author. I'm trying to think about my multi-hyphenates now. Um, Blogger, skincare fetishist, bathing (laughs) enthusiast mental health advocate of all kinds, uh, new podcaster uh-huh. with Katie. I am from L.A. originally and Santa Barbara, California, so Southern California girl through and through. And really sort of I still find it hilarious that most of my work is centered in the food world because nobody in my family cooks. And I 100 percent went to culinary school on a whim in the midst of a post-graduation existential crisis (laughs) and, you know, have been sort of in this food, healthy living space for the past eight years. Wow, time flies. Love that. And so how do you guys know each other? 
we have a mutual friend who we love, Jessica Mernan. I'm pretty sure she first introduced I us. I think that's right. Because we had met in person. Remember that day in Union Square at the yes. park? Like, <laughs> I had just moved to New York. And so we met in person, and I just remember really liking you. And then we followed each other on social media, and we, like, met at another time with our friend Phoebe. Mm-hmm. So we'd hung out in person, like, a handful of times and then just kind of kept in touch in an internet sort of a way. And then this year, Serena had been kind of in a cocoon writing her book the previous year and so this year was kind of her year to maybe do other things and like come out of <laughs> and come out of the world and so she was like this would be a great time to record on your podcast and so I was like great let's do it and I came over one morning and we just had such a great conversation on my podcast and we like exercised together and she made us a smoothie that was delicious and we hung out and then basically really became friends out of that conversation. We, like, got brunch the next week and really hung out every Wednesday, like, yeah, this winter. Yeah, it was very funny because I think we really connected while recording her podcast, which Katie's podcast is extremely long form, and I think our conversation was two and a half hours. Yeah. And Katie was crying. I was crying. We were talking about our careers, and then that dovetailed into a conversation about anxiety really early on in the conversation. And she had this whole list of prepared questions to ask mm-hmm. me, and 20 minutes in, we're deep into anxiety, and then two hours had passed, and we were like, well. But we both got so much out of that conversation, and then we sort of wanted to see how other people would respond to that conversation. Mm -hmm. And we had an inkling after recording that we were like, this was a really important discussion. And we hoped that it would really resonate with people. And when it did, we had already started hanging out and being like, maybe we should have more of these discussions. Mm -hmm. And so like Katie said, we got together every Wednesday. Sometimes it was just to hang out. Sometimes it was to brainstorm how we could conceptualize a anxiety-centric podcast that felt mm-hmm. like something we wanted to listen to. Because there are some mental health podcasts out yeah. there, and so many of them are wonderful, but they also have a really strong clinical bent. And like we just wanted people to be a fucking shoot in the shed about living their yeah. lives with anxiety. And we call it the Optimistic Anxiety Podcast because like we're not sitting there neither of us sort of take a woe is me approach. I've always found it confusing because I come from an extremely anxious family. Everybody in my family is anxious. And so we've always openly talked about it. So what has been really strange about my experience communicating my anxiety on my blog, on social media, to friends who didn't grow up like this, is they're always like, wow, you're so brave. Which is my biggest pet peeve in general when people call things brave. It just is. I'm with you. I've said it so many times on the show. But it really blew my mind from a – I had like a visceral response because I hate it so much. But when people started doing that, I developed this sense of guilt because like I was like, you are projecting something onto me that I do not feel. I do not feel brave talking about this. I feel the same being like I am having a particularly anxious week as I feel saying, you know, I had a stomach ache earlier this week. It feels the same to me. So – I would not feel any sort of bravery or expect any sort of congratulations for being like, I threw up yesterday (laughs) to some, you know, to saying I'm going through a particularly anxious phase or I had a panic attack and it was really shitty. So we just wanted to do something where we could have these conversations about the good things in our lives that were happening, too, while we were 
living with anxiety. And we're both in very different places because mm-hmm. Katie is sort of newer to the anxiety life. Yeah, I think why I like the dynamic of our show so much is because we're so unique as people, but we get along so well. And that initial conversation that kind of spawned everything, I really you know, I was going through a really, like, the hardest time in my life so far. I just had this, like, really hard breakup, and I had just, Serena was, like, the first podcast interview I'd done since this big change in my life had happened, and I was a mess. I honestly was like, I'll do this because I know this person, and, like, she feels safe and cozy (laughs) to me, and is like, I think we had maybe even talked about it months before, and I really looked at her as, like, this big sister figure who, like, had been able to articulate her anxiety for a decade where I was new to it. And in a similar way, I'm open about talking about my mental health. I don't think it's brave, but I also come from a family of anxious folks, but they don't talk about it. It's not something that we articulate. And so having a language around it was so useful to me and cathartic to me. And I know there are people like me who need that. And I really wanted to be able to like kind of mine those gems out of Serena and share that. And then also we just, we say this all the time, but like, I'm really earnest. Like <laughs> Serena's so sarcastic. Like, I think we're just kind of like, we work really well together, like an Italian dressing or something. You know? <laughs> What's it gonna, peanut butter and jelly is maybe better. Yes. <laughs> but I really like that. No, we're like indecision toast. Like yeah. every time Katie comes over, I make toast and I make half avocado toast and then half whatever sweet thing I have, like whatever jam is in my fridge or almond butter Mm -hmm. with honey or whatever. And we always laugh. They're polar opposites. And we get so excited to have both at the same time. (laughs) It's very satisfying to have both of those things on your plate. And I hope that our podcast is very satisfying to people to have both dynamics of us because, you know, we just did a Q&A episode yesterday and we got so many questions about anxiety and they were great. And Serena was like going through some of them being like, can't relate, can't relate, can't relate. And then I read those same ones and I was like, 100% relate. 100% and then, like, the relate. reverse was true where I was like, oh, yeah, I get what they're getting. Yeah. And he was like, you're going to have to answer this one. I have no yeah. Idea. So I think it just really shows that, like, between the two of us, we have this really good dynamic of, like, being really different, being in different points in our lives, having different levels of experience with this, and just having different perspectives on, like, things that we're into. Like, we have a lot of overlap and like a lot of the same things, but also have a lot of different things that we like. And so I think it really makes a dynamic conversation every week. And then also, too, I like the way we formatted our show because something that Serena mentioned is like we started talking about this for months before we started recording and we would just kind of brainstorm or have just honestly conversations similar to ones we then recorded, but we were just having them with each other and we decided to format our show in the way that we do. And it's called Spiraling because we talk about what we're spiraling about, which really came out of me coming over and like telling Serena what I was spiraling about and her telling me what she was spiraling about. And it just getting that off of our chest felt so good. And then we end the show with something called High, Higher, Highest. And that's something that Logan made up, right? No, it was a friend of ours, which I think it's a very common thing. I think most people do it as highs and lows. And we started doing it on vacation with friends where at the end of the night, we would all go around and say what our high, higher and highest moment was from the day. And I think it's just a really good way to celebrate, like, get rid of the lows. You're just celebrating 
the best things that happen to you. And so sometimes I just play it with myself at the end of every day. And it's particularly helpful on terrible days. And some days the highs are like, oh, like my book came out today. And some days the highs are like, I blow dried my hair this morning. That was a high. And I think that that's okay. And I think what's so wonderful once we hammered out the format for our show was we really just wanted it to be something this is not a money-making venture for either of us. It's a passion project. And I think I had zero expectations attached to it, which was so liberating because I would be lying if I said that I don't care how my next book does. I'm like, I slaved over that for two years. That's my blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> like, I want people to buy mm-hmm. it. But Katie and I sort of adopted this mentality going into it that we were going to do this as long as it was fun. We were not going to attach any strings to it. And the truth is, is if nobody listened in the grand numbers sense, if there were a few people listening and it was helpful to them, then we had fun doing it and it helped someone. And so that's why we formatted it beyond the spirals and the high, higher, highest. Each episode in the first season is targeted toward covering a subject that we both receive the most questions Mm -hmm. about. So we have a language episode, like Katie was just talking about, in the sense that so many people don't have the language to describe what they're going through, which is the scariest part about something like anxiety. And it took me years to formulate that language, and I could never have done it without a therapist. And we also talk about therapy for a full episode because it's been such a game changer for both of us. We talk about our anxiety management toolkits and all of the different things we do to keep our anxiety in check on the daily. And then we had a career episode and then a social media episode because I think you can't ignore that this day and age, how that affects your mental Mm -hmm. health in general. So we figured it could be a standalone resource for people who are just just Googling like, how the fuck do I deal with anxiety? (laughs) And maybe this pops up and then they listen to it and think, Because I've had such an interesting relationship with talking about anxiety openly on social media and, you know, professionally, so to speak, and then talking about it to myself. Because I have such a long-term relationship with anxiety at this point that it has become really interesting to me. Somebody asked me the other day if I felt like anxiety defined me more because I talk about it so openly. And I've never felt remotely defined by my anxiety. I just think it's part of who I am. But I did find it super interesting because I also think people are under this weird misconception that because I'm sitting here talking to both of you right now about my anxiety, that in my offline life, I'm also talking about my anxiety all the time, which is the opposite of the case. And I finally had to communicate that recently on Instagram. I was like, hey, just so you know, I am not recommending everyone go home. When I say communicate to the people in your life that you have anxiety, I literally mean have a conversation with them and be like, I have anxiety. You don't need to be like, so here's the rundown of the past 12 hours. I felt anxious at 1230. I felt better at 1.15. Like, no, like I'm just saying you have to have the initial conversation so that you don't have to have those conversations all the time, because that's what we were talking about in terms of language is being able to articulate to the people closest to you. Hey, I have this thing. Often when I am feeling this way, you won't be able to tell. So I'm going to have to tell you that I'm feeling anxious 
in a way that doesn't make it worse. So for me, if I'm anxious, telling my husband, I'm feeling anxious and this is what I'm feeling right in this exact moment. And I think that I'm going to try this. (laughs) It makes it infinity times worse. So I'm just like, hey, I'm feeling anxious. And then he knows because we've had the preliminary conversation, please don't touch me. Please don't tell me to calm down. Please don't ask me what you can do. And sometimes, you know, Katie and I talk about this all the time is everybody wants to be supported differently. So some people want to be hugged when they're feeling anxious. Some people do want their partner to ask them, what can I do for you? For me, that just feels like a burden. I'm like, what you can do for me is just let me panic in peace. <laughs> and-, and you have to be able to figure that out. Like, I didn't know what those things were for me. And talking to Serena really allowed me to be on a journey. We hate that word. We hate that word. (laughs) Um, But be on the journey to figure it out. And a piece of feedback that we've been getting about the show so far and particularly that episode about the language is so many people have said to me and to Serena, too. I just asked her about this yesterday. I didn't realize that I officially had anxiety until I listened to your show. And I'd been in therapy for something else entirely since I was in college as well. But no therapist ever mentioned anxiety. They were tackling like the top problem, which for me was an eating disorder, which was really a symptom of a lot of other things, including anxiety. But my depression was brought up, but anxiety was never brought up. But then when I started to hear Serena talk about it before we even started hanging out in person, I felt how people are feeling now about our show and being like, oh, I experience all of those things. Let me bring that up in therapy. And so if this show can A, make people feel less alone hopefully make people laugh and entertain them and also give them some food for thought to maybe bring into their therapy or inspire them to go to therapy or to have a conversation with their spouse or best friend or roommate about what they're experiencing. Like, I think that's our greatest goal in this and then the selfish reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really similar to this, you know, and why I started this podcast was not for my own good, but to help other people (laughs) share their stories as well. And like you said, Serena, you know, doing this that if no one listened, okay, I'll survive. Yeah. But I felt like I needed to help share other people's stories. Um, If you guys can go back a little bit and tell me individually how you knew and when you knew that you had anxiety. I think hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So looking back at my life, I can see that I've always had latent anxiety, but it was very low grade and it was sort of hidden in other areas of my life. And so I was an incredibly academic person. And as a child, I think that I really channeled all of my anxiety into my schoolwork all the way through college. So I was very stressed. And Katie and I talk about this all the time because one of my biggest pet peeves is I think that anxiety is becoming a little bit of a buzzword And it makes me so happy, don't get me wrong, that people are talking about it more. So I would rather that there was some misunderstanding and people are talking about it than not talking about it. But I think people often conflate stress and anxiety, and they're just very different things. So when I'm stressed out, I don't feel anxious. It takes up too much brain space, and that's a good feeling for me. So I love to be stressed because then I don't have to be anxious. And so I spent so much of my life channeling my, you know, anxiety into academics and then just feeling stressed, which felt okay. I was just stressed. I was a type A 
And that was fine. And it served me incredibly well. And I would love to talk about that later because I do think there are positive side effects of anxiety as well. But I graduated from college and the week of my graduation, which was like senior parties and everyone celebrating and your family's in town and whatever. And I was on the tee to a Dave Matthews concert and had like an earth shattering panic attack. And I had never had a panic attack before, but I don't know, maybe just because I watch a lot of medical shows, like I knew that maybe I was having a panic attack, but I told my friends I was going home. I just said I didn't feel well. I happened to be in therapy at this point anyway. Like I said, family of anxious people, but also just like therapy believers. I started going to therapy my sophomore year of college of my own volition. I like sought out a therapist and just started talking to him. And so I called my therapist. I got in a cab to go to the hospital because I was like, I'm probably dying. (laughs) This is what's happening. Thank you, you, medical TV shows. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I was like, panic attack or dying. Could be either one. And, you know, my heart was beating out of my chest. I could barely breathe. I felt like somebody was pouring like sandbag through the top of my head and was going through my veins. I'm like, sorry, sometimes I feel like when you talk about panic attacks, it can be very triggering to people who have them. I've... Yeah. <laughs> and also I'm like in this padded room right now and I feel kind of anxious. I was like, I'm feeling it. Right now. <laughs> so like anyway, I was having all of these symptoms and I got to the hospital and I went straight up to the desk and I was like, I think I might be having a panic attack, but I need to see a doctor. And she doesn't even look up from the desk. She's like, Sykes on the third floor. And I was like, oh, God. So thanks to my medical shows, I remember that if you say that you're having chest pains, they have to admit you. So I was like, I'm having severe chest pains. And she, like, looked at me and rolled her eyes and was like, I'll get the doctor. And I was like, thank God." God. And so I spent three hours in there with, you know, having every single test done. And they were worried because my heart rate was so elevated that they were like, something could actually be wrong. And then later they were just like, you're having an acute panic attack. So my therapist happened to be an anxiety specialist. That was just a coincidence, but sometimes I think the universe works in magical ways. And so we started tackling this head on from the first panic attack. And the scary thing about panic attacks, not for everyone, but often when you have one that's that massive, you have sort of mini aftershocks afterwards for that week or month or whatever. And then I developed, unfortunately, like I just developed a full-blown panic disorder. And basically a panic disorder is fear of the next panic attack. So you just keep panicking because you're like, oh, like if I go on that boat to that party, I'm going to be stuck on the island. I might have a panic attack there. And then you just start having a panic attack in anticipation of maybe having a panic attack later. So I did have panic attacks pretty consistently for almost a full year. And The thing that is really crazy about that year is I barely remember it. And I just was, you know, in and out of having panic attacks, but then also had sort of generalized anxiety. And what my therapist has been really helpful in doing for me and people respond very differently to this type of stuff. But because I'm an academic, it was really helpful for me to understand exactly what was going on in my brain. So when I was having these panic attacks and then also just having pretty severe generalized anxiety on a daily basis, he was like, okay, this is what's happening. Your amygdala is overstimulated. Now you're waking up in the morning instead of being at baseline zero and moving up. It's starting at like a five out of 10 and then it's just getting worse, you know. So we basically have to find a way to get you back to zero so that when you're panicking, you're not going to a 10, you're going to a five. So I did go on Lexapro for about a year, which is an SSRI. And 
that really helped me get over the hump because I needed something while I was developing management tools to help me. And so, and I also was doing acupuncture really consistently at the time, which I highly recommend for anxiety. It made such a difference. But acupuncture and the medication were like the two things combined that gave me the space to develop the other tools. So since then, and that was 10 years ago, now I've made so many changes to my lifestyle, like my diet, consistent exercise, sleep routines, all of these things that took me, to be honest, years. But that first year was the worst. And I've sort of, I went off the Lexapro after a year, you know, with my doctor, it was a process. And then I haven't been on medication since, but I have sort of just continued to build this anxiety toolkit. And now very rarely have panic attacks. There were years where I had like zero or one. There were years where I had four or five. And now I have generalized anxiety, but it's very low grade. And there are many, many days where I feel zero anxiety at all. And that's wonderful. But I have no doubt in my mind that this is something that I will be managing for the rest of my life. And we, Katie and I talk about this all the time because I get a lot of messages from people who are like, you seem so positive about this, but isn't it exhausting and depressing to you to think that you're going to be managing this for your whole life? And I'm like, no, but I think that that's a choice. Like, I just choose to be like, ah, well, I kind of like not drinking a ton of caffeine and exercise feels good. And I think sleep is important. And all the things that I'm doing to manage it have now just become parts of my life that feel good. Support for this podcast and the following message is brought to you by Find Yourself Boxes. Find Yourself Boxes puts self-care back into your hands by offering customizable boxes, allowing you to choose self-care that works for you. They have an intentionally curated product line of research-backed wellness products that support you in creating self-care moments in a sustainable and accessible way. This brand was founded and is run by Mallory Gotthelf, who was on episode 10 of the show and spoke about the value of self-care in managing her own mental health. Find Yourself Boxes puts mental health care in the forefront as a portion of your purchase goes to mental health-focused organizations. Order your own Find Yourself Box or buy one for a friend using code FINDYOURSELFCARE for 10% off your order at findyourselfboxes.com. That's code FINDYOURSELFCARE, one word, at findyourselfboxes.com. Now, back to the show. So I don't feel like this is a you know, lifelong sentence, so to speak. It's just something that I deal with. It's like somebody who has back pain is going to take care of that. Yeah. And I think the language has a huge part to do with that, which is that you're not suffering from it. Yes. Which I think a lot of people walk around saying they're suffering or struggling as opposed to living with or managing, which yeah. are really, really different words and different ways of looking at it. And to your point earlier of people saying, you know, do you feel more defined by your illness by talking about it? totally relate to that. Am I all of a sudden, is my identity now based on invisible yeah. illness because I host this show? <laughs> you know, like, did I get sicker all of a sudden because of this? So it's an interesting thing. And I think everyone should definitely listen to that episode. Do you know which number it's, it, it is? It's number two. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. We did it purposely because I think before you have the language, it's kind of hard to talk about this stuff. So we wanted so to to really give people like a glossary. 
And Serena is really articulate. And I think your therapist probably helped you develop that. Absolutely. Just the amount of time that you've had understanding this. And so she's such a great resource. And she's been talking about it on the internet before our podcast. You know, I really saw this as a great platform to showcase her knowledge of anxiety because it's something that, you know, people write about and to talk about an Instagram is great. But I think to have a long form conversation about it is really useful because I think this medium lends itself well to the intricacies of something like this. I absolutely agree and think about all the content that's online about invisible illness and mental illness in general. That There's a blog post here and there, but mm-hmm. wanting something more substantial is so important here. So, Katie, tell us a little bit about your experience and what anxiety has meant for you. You know, I think I have like a whole cocktail of mental <laughs> illness um, and I'm still figuring it out. Like I'm much more in process than Serena is, which, again, I think is a great pro to the dynamic of our show. But for me, I'm I'm really new to this. I'm really new to how anxiety affects my life. And I'm still figuring out what like Serena can really kind of rattle off what works for her. She has developed a lot of self-awareness and understanding of herself. And I'm this year has been a really big unfolding of that for me. And so I got into therapy in college because of an eating disorder, which I think is really this like outward expression of an invisible illness, you know, like an inward struggle subconsciously, of course. Um, But it really was this kind of cry for help. And I am grateful that it got me into therapy when it did, because I come from the opposite of Serena with therapy. I didn't know the only therapists I ever saw were on television. Like I didn't really even know what it was. And that forced me to be in therapy and to realize that like some of the dynamics of my family, you know, maybe are challenging. Like you just don't know that when you're a kid because it's just like all you know. Or maybe this way I experienced something isn't necessarily, you know, the healthiest and I could shift that or I could change that. And that was really wonderful. That was like a blessing in that. (laughs) And then I realized, you know, you kind of peel away the layers. I realized there was depression in that. And then I would have, you know, kind of these really high highs and really low lows. And, you know, with the highs and the lows in between comes a lot of anxiety. And that's what I'm really realizing and unpacking now and learning that language. And, And that was kind of in that first episode that bonded us of my podcast when what really opened my eyes to my anxiety honestly was like the end of this relationship because I didn't have the language you know like I wasn't able to articulate this to the person closest to me and that was really hard and Serena gave me I don't know if you even remember what you said but you were just kind of like because I was just like well what if nobody can understand this about me and like what if I'm just like this and you have this line that you kind of always say but I say it like you just say it to me but it's like (laughs) you're not you're not broken you're not damaged we say at the end of like every one of our episodes and it's okay and like there and I want you to talk about this too like the positives of anxiety but I think that was really valuable for me of like feeling less alone being able to have support around this and then knowing that like what works for Serena might not work for me like just one example off the top of my head is like I would love to be hugged when I'm really anxious and like Serena does want that, you know? So it's just, um, I'm definitely really super still figuring it out, trying all the things. And I've done, we'll talk about this in an episode, but really this year, I've done a lot of management things of hypnosis and different types of therapy and different types of healers and really trying to figure out that. I think it's a responsibility, you know, like a management, you're figuring out what your strategy is. And that takes time to develop. And like we said, you know, Serena, has 
like a decade on me with figuring this out. So I think, you know, whenever you have the self-awareness, it then takes time to put in the work to do the trial and error to figure out what works. And that's where I am. Yeah. And I think that that's relevant to anyone with invisible illness is that there's different ways to manage this based on you, your personality and what works for you. There are people that have the same condition like you guys that may handle it completely differently. Some people are pro-Eastern, pro-Western, combo of both, anti-one or the other, and there's no one right way. Yeah, and I think what we're really aligned on is that, like, we're both pro-whatever works for people. Like, we're pro-Eastern-Western combination. We don't judge anyone who takes medicine or doesn't. Like, we're so just, like, you do you probably try therapy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely do the therapy. <laughs> yeah. But I also think what's so wild to me is that what sucks about anxiety, and I think with mental health issues in general, is they're rarely consistent over the course of time. So like I said, some years I had crazy panic attacks. Some years I had generalized anxiety. Some days I feel great. Some days I feel weird. Sometimes things that have worked for me in the past stop working. And that's a scary thing, too. But I think it's you have to remain flexible. I think fluidity in your management strategy is essential because wetting yourself to one mm -hmm. remedy, so to speak, or a specific cocktail of remedies, if that changes, then what happens is the anxiety spirals because you're like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? And your brain just panics more. And it's like, I tell myself all the time, last, like, Katie's just painted me as this, like, incredibly well-adjusted, like, quote-unquote, recovered human. And it's like, I'm so, yes, I have so much more experience with this. But at the same time, I think that I would be lying if I was like, things are great. I just have gotten also not better at hiding them. They just don't manifest themselves as clearly. So honestly, over time, I think that my anxiety has become increasingly invisible because like, just to be perfectly frank, when we shut that door, the first five minutes when we were recording, I was like freaking the fuck out. And I don't even have claustrophobia issues. But I could feel my heart rate speeding up. I got really hot. And I was like, you're fine. I was going to ask if you could open that curtain so that I could <laughs> see there's world outside this room. But you would never have known. I don't think anybody listening to the first five minutes of this conversation could have told that I was panicking. But it's just something that now I don't start, you know, my breathing doesn't come as quickly. I don't start sweating right away. You know, it's just a different manifestation. And so I always stress that people have to understand that as much as we fucking hate the word journey, it is a fucking journey. Like there's so many twists and turns and it does frankly suck some days, but we always do come out the other side. And like from a medical standpoint, what's always been so comforting to me is your body can only remain in a state of panic for so many minutes. I think it's 20 that you can be in full-blown panic mode before you cannot sustain it. So one of the things that Katie didn't know that then when I told her, she was like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. When I go through a particularly anxious phase or have oh, yeah. a panic attack, I'm exhausted afterwards. And I'm sometimes exhausted for days because, mm -hmm. like, your system is legitimately shot. And so if I have a week where I'm super anxious every day, the next week I will just be so tired all the time. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that has been super helpful because then you're just like, oh, 
like, well, this mm-hmm. is what happens. But we always do come out the other side and leaning into it sometimes is the only way to get through it because when you're like, why is this happening? What can I do to fix it? And you've already, in my case, if I employ all of the tools in my arsenal and I'm still feeling anxious, then I'm like, well, you did your best and now you're just going to ride it out. And it's going to pass because there has never been an instance, which is so helpful and is not known to people who are new to this, is it always passes. And so when you're in it, so that first year, it rarely did pass. So I was like, oh, God, this is my life now. And anybody that's listening that is in a newer phase of anxiety or a panic disorder know that this is not forever. It is just the Mm -hmm. early phase, which is really fucking terrible. (laughs) And what we resist persists. So like leaning into, like she said, when you are feeling anxious or like try your best to pivot, because I think we both are similar in this way. Like we do a lot of things. We try really hard. We can be disciplined and self-motivated. And so we can be so disciplined, like we can handle the anxiety. (laughs) Like we can get through this. And I do that with my depression, with my anxiety of like, I'm just going to push through. I'm going to. And that's kind of what was modeled for me. And I think that's what's modeled by our society and our culture where I can just like sit in my hands and power through. And this year, like things were so acute for me with my anxiety and with my depression, actually, that I really had to lean in on days where I was like super tired after being really anxious or just uncertainty of life and having to just be like, I'm not going to be able to get as much done this year as I usually do. And that's okay. Serena called it my cocoon year. I think we said that before we started recording, (laughs) which I like. But it's like, you know, I think it's just leaning into that. And of course, it's like a privileged thing. Sometimes you might have kids or you might have responsibilities that you have to do. But like surrounding that with as much self-care and giving yourself a break as much as you can and taking things off your plate when you can, I think that can be helpful. But also knowing that like sometimes filling your plate might be what's helpful to you. So it's just really trying to figure that out and acknowledging where you're at. Yeah. I'm sorry I put you into the situation. Who would have known? I honestly have zero claustrophobic tendencies. So I'm just It's cool that you shared that too, because that reminded me of like a cool thing about the title of my work is Let It Out and I think really fits with the theme of spiraling. And a mentor of mine has this line where she says, what we don't own owns us. And so I think letting it out essentially of like what we do with anxiety and what you do with this podcast I think is so great. And what I do with my work is I think sharing makes other people feel less alone, but I really do think it's not purely altruistic for me. It's also very, very cathartic to me. And do you find the same thing? Yes, and that's what I was trying to sort of delineate between earlier in this conversation when I was like, it's very helpful for me to talk to you about anxiety on the whole because I do think that sort of like journaling or being in Mm -hmm. therapy or whatever, when you do talk about certain things and have larger conversations and then especially listening to them back because we, you know, have to edit our podcast Mm – It's easy to recognize patterns, and it does feel really cathartic to be like, oh, this is something, especially with Katie, who is also anxious, for her to be like, oh, yeah, I feel that way all the time. Or for Katie to say something and me to be like, oh, yeah, that's totally normal. That's how I feel. But I don't find that talking about it in the moment or hashing things out all the time is helpful because a lot of times, I think, especially if you're in a relationship – I think it's really hard for people in relationships with somebody who is not anxious. I can only imagine. I think about this sometimes just because my husband is not remotely anxious, what it would be like if he was anxious. Because your spouse wants to support you. 
and they want to help, and it's really hard for them to feel powerless. And this is the most frequent question I get about anxiety. It's not from anxious people. It's from people being like, my sibling, best friend, spouse, partner, whatever, has anxiety, and I don't know how to support them. And the only advice that I can give is just ask. Because for me, a lot of times somebody asking if they can do something for me, the truth is, is nine times out of 10, I'll say no. But just the act of them being there is very soothing. And I think that if there is something specific, like giving you a hug or getting you a glass of water, or sometimes <laughs> my husband will like just like go run a bath without saying anything. And I'll be like, I don't want a bath. And I'm like, I do, kind of. <laughs> but I think that it is really different for everyone. But I think that it can almost feel burdensome to the person with anxiety to be like, oh, like I feel so terrible. And now I have to comfort you mm-hmm. because you want to help me. And I have to be like, no, you're doing great. Like you're supporting me mm-hmm. so well. <laughs> and also leaving space because they might not know what is helpful for them. Like if someone asked me that question, I'd be like, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. And so just giving that space of like, and it might be different every time and just like knowing it's nonlinear, but just asking is so helpful. I didn't know when I started dating my husband when I was in like the Katie phase of my anxiety (laughs) and he would kind of cuddle me, so to speak, or try to talk things out with me. And I didn't realize for a while that I was like, this cuddling is making it worse. At first, I was like, is it making it better? I was trying to think it through and being like, is this making it better? Is it making it worse? Whatever. And then I just think I'm very lucky because Logan is so secure that when I was like, I need you to not touch me when I'm anxious, he was not remotely offended by that. But he was like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me sooner? And it wasn't that I was hiding it from him. And I told him that. I just said, I just realized that it's making it worse. And I've been trying to figure that out. And I think that's okay. And I think when you frame it correctly, people are super receptive because they do not want to make it worse. And if you say it in a like really honest, loving way, and I always say the reason we started doing our podcast too is like some of these things require a sense of humor. Like if I was like, Logan, when you are hugging me that tightly, I'm feeling that my nervous system doesn't love that. He would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But like being like, oh, no, that hug is just not helping me right now. And like any sense of levity or delivery even makes all the difference because then he doesn't feel guilty about Mm -hmm. it. He doesn't feel like he's done something wrong. And also, I just think that talking about my anxiety in that way gives it a weird power that I don't think it deserves. Like, it's not this big, scary, threatening thing. It's just a thing that sucks. And, like, the truth is, is whether it's an illness or something else, like, we all have shit in our life that sucks. And, like, you're allowed to have that without having to feel like it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, I feel like we should add to our tagline of our podcast of being the optimistic anxiety podcast to be the humorous optimistic anxiety (laughs) podcast because that's what I think Serena does really well and like I'm really open about like talking about dark things or talking about but like 
and just being like, we don't have to be sad about this. We can laugh and I can make a joke about something like kind of dark. And I think that that's really and not even dark, but just like weird or funny or like, <laughs> I don't know. I just think that it's so important to like not make things so goddamn heavy, you know, and to just like have a conversation that doesn't make it so serious allows it to actually sink in. <laughs> because some of the stuff is like about anxiety that we anxious people tend to spiral about. There are so many different forms of anxiety, but we're just overthinkers. Mm -hmm. Like that is a common characteristic of anxious people. And so we overthink, especially social interactions. And I always joke that like the worst thing in my life is the hug, handshake, misunderstanding. That shit haunts me. I can name <laughs> almost every hug, handshake, misinterpretation that I've had in like the past five years. And sometimes I'll just be walking down the street going about my day and one will flash into my head and I will viscerally react. I will shiver on the street. I'll be like, ooh. And I know logically that those people, A, didn't think about it after it happened, but are certainly not thinking about it five years later. But it's absurd. Like, it is very it's funny really that funny. I'm like, oh, God. Like, I once accidentally, like, turned heads at the same time and kissed a friend's boyfriend on the mouth, like, <laughs> instead of on the cheek. And I think about it. That was, like, six years ago. I think about it <laughs> quarterly and, and have an existential crisis about it. And he definitely doesn't remember. Let alone think about it. This would be so funny. Like, I've had so many weird funny things it's like it's really nice to just have an outlet for that like everyone should have a serena or a me to like tell their spirals to like that's one thing that i wish to everyone because just for the comedic element of it you yeah. know? <laughs> well, and knowing that you're not going through it alone even if you're in different stages and have different ways of managing it it's so helpful that you have each other and obviously this platform yeah katie you mentioned a while ago that Serena's really big on creating the positive spin on anxiety. Talk a little bit about that and what that means to you. I think it's made me a much more empathetic person. I love that this podcast is all about invisible illnesses because I think having one has just opened my eyes to the swath of people that are struggling with something, you know, not silently necessarily, but just invisibly. And I think it's made me a much softer person. I was just like, I don't want to say I was a bitch, but like I was just like stone cold growing up. I'm a middle child. I've always been super independent. I think it was a defense mechanism. Like my parents got divorced and I think I just didn't want to deal with any of that. And I've always sort of had that sarcastic humor and I just think and when I say bitch I just mean like I was never remotely mean because I'm like just my core is nice I can't <laughs> shake that. but like just in terms of I had sort of a why am I blanking like on the wall right no I was just like cynical and hard mm -hmm. and I think that my anxiety really softened me in wonderful ways and I think it forced me <laughs> kicking and screaming into like a hole of vulnerability and I think that that vulnerability is the only reason I'm allowed to be in a healthy relationship now but I also think that anxiety I talk about this with my therapist all the time because I'm always I think we make the blanket statement like Ugh, I just like don't want to deal with this I wish I didn't have anxiety and he's like honestly I hate to break it to you but like anxiety is part of the reason you're successful and not for the because I talk about it on my platforms and we have a podcast and whatever. It literally, 
I need a small amount of my anxiety in order to remain motivated. And I think that it is directly linked to my ambition, both personally and professionally. And I think that like there's little parts of my anxiety that make sure that I am always doing my best. And the flip, the negatives, you know, are like perfectionism. But there is a healthy level of wanting to do your best that I am always striving towards. So I am consistently seeking that balance. Like, how can I mm-hmm. have just that little bit of anxiety that kicks me in the ass and gets me out the door? And I also think that what's been so hilarious to me is I never exercised until two years ago. I just didn't. It was so bad. And it was something that my GP was like, this is incredibly bad. Like, you have to exercise. I'm worried about your cardiovascular health. And I started doing it. And then my anxiety decreased exponentially. So my first piece of advice after therapy is daily movement for anxiety. It makes all the difference. But when I started doing that consistently, I was like, oh, wow, I now exercise 90% for my mental health. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm also a vain human, but like, it's mostly for my mental health. And so that's another plus. It's like, I genuinely don't think if I was not anxious, I would probably still be sedentary happily. (laughs) And Katie, what about you? I think we really, one thing we do have in common is we're very ambitious people. I tend to, Serena really helped me (laughs) recently to be like, you have these really lofty big dreams and goals. And that's great. But like, you're going to just feel bad if you need to like tone it down a little bit. (laughs) So that's been really, I'm definitely an extremist. Would you say that about yourself? No, I think I'm more hyper rational. So it's actually something like in therapy, I have to work on like, quote unquote, magical thinking. Yeah. Like he's like, you're rational. And you're when something comes up like a giant dream, He'll be like, well, why don't you shoot from like, because that's ridiculous. The chances of that happening are so small. I'm and he's like, completely. And he's like, yeah, but literally, do you want to be in that tiny chance of it happening? Because if you spend your life being like, that is impossible, then it will remain impossible. So Katie does a good I'm the job. the opposite of that. But I don't think it's a good job. I think I'm too extreme. We need, a, we well, need a we're middle. We're going to find a middle. Yeah, ground. we need to be, uh, there's something between us. But I am ambitious and I'm good at being disciplined. When I when I have focus, we both like the way Serena wrote her book. And, you know, I was my most productive in the career that I have now while working a full-time job for six years. And I was like that in high school and in college and being in all the clubs and filling up my schedule and having my grades be solid. Like, I'm someone who just overfills my schedule. And I think there's definitely downsides to that. But I think I blame my anxiety for allowing me to do a lot of things. So I think in that way, it's good. And then just repeating what Serena said about the vulnerability piece and the connection piece and the empathy, that's something that, you know, She said it made her softer. I've like centered kind of my work around letting it out and creating soft stories because I believe when someone tells you something vulnerable or tender or really authentic about themselves, it opens up a conversation and allows another person to maybe not in that exact moment, but eventually feel safe to do that. And that's how we connect with each other. And a big piece of why so many people feel isolated and depressed and lonely is because we're so insular. And that connection is what we're all craving. And it's made me be more honest, I think, about what's going on and allowed me to connect with other people. I love that. 
So you mentioned that people have sent you messages, I assume, on Instagram about the podcast and saying, you know, how can I help the people I love, given that I don't have anxiety? What's your number one tip? I think Serena said, ask them. It's going to be different for everyone. So I think the first thing is really to ask. That is the most solid advice just because you can never anticipate how somebody's going to react. And I think that's relevant to everything related to all the illnesses that we address on the podcast is just how to help people and how can they support them and guide them in what they're going through because everyone maybe deals with don't it differently. call them brave. <laughs> yeah. And, and, amen. Amen. And amen. make sure they don't feel alone because that's the scariest yes. thing. When I'm feeling anxious, for me to feel alone and like I'm the only one that's because that's what it feels like. And that's really before I met Serena and before I knew it was happening with myself. I really and I'm sure how you felt on the yes. tee. Like you feel like you're the only one that's ever experienced this sensation and that you're dying or when it's, you know, less severe than that. Like it's just scary. And so you don't want to feel alone. And I would encourage people to consider the fact that they are the only one who is experiencing their anxiety the way that they experience it. And I think what Katie and I have discussed a lot just offline is the fact that with something like anxiety or I think any sort of mental illness, you know, people project their own experience onto you in order to feel less alone. I know how you feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm the same human. And I get a lot of we're exactly the same. And first of all, I would just challenge people in life to never say that to another human because it diminishes each of our uniqueness. Like to be like, we're exactly the same person. It's like, uh, nobody's exactly the same person. But especially with anxiety, and I totally understand it's 1000% always coming from a good place. But it is also something that I fear, I'm like, okay, I don't want somebody who's new to anxiety to look at me and be like, okay, we are experiencing the same, so I'm going to do exactly what she does, and then I'm going to feel better, because that's just not the case. And I think that setting yourself up for failure in that way is sort of shooting yourself in the foot by, like, trying to... I feel the same way about following anxiety protocols as I feel about following somebody else's skincare routine or diets, why I'm like vehemently opposed to what I eat in a day post. It's like, I would love to look like Giselle, but if I eat Giselle's diet, I'm not going to magically grow three inches, like shrink two cup sizes and have hair down to my butt. Like, it's just like not how it works. And I just think that, like we talked about earlier, that flexibility can be really challenging because I think everybody wants a quick fix. And I think what sucks about anxiety is like there is no, you know, panacea. There's no catch-all cure for it. And so taking the time to experiment and realizing that it's long-term just really sucks. Yeah, it'd be easy if there was a formula. And it's not like healing strep throat that's like pretty much the same for everyone. Like there's no Z-pack for this. Yeah. And there are days when I really wish that there was. And I look at, you know, Serena, I'm just like, okay, you're good. I'm going to just do what you do. But like, I can't even plug that into my life because I don't have the same life as her. So yeah. I think 
to just acknowledge that we're all different is so important. Like I get a lot of that too of, you know, I'm the same human as you. And I think what people are really trying to say to us when they say that is I relate to you, which is so beautiful. Yes. But that's a better way to phrase that. I think that's, you know, it's semantics, but it really kind of matters with that because nobody is the same. And I think it opens up the comparison trap, which I think in a strange way are – The perfect example of this is I really think our society glamorizes being busy, which I will never understand because I I do not want Mm -hmm. to be busy. And I always just I hate that that's the lead in with every conversation. It's like, how are you? So busy. And it's like, okay, whatever. So am I. Busyness is really tricky for anxiety because, like I said, it can be used as a Band-Aid to fill your life up with stress and whatever. But I also think people love to, like, compare busyness. They like to compare illnesses, so to speak, as well. So they'll be like, oh, like, Mm. you know, you're not crying and getting off of planes because you're having a panic attack or whatever. Like, your anxiety seems like it's pretty much under control. And, like, that's minimizing. But the flip is is somebody's like, oh, like, what I worry about is the people who are struggling with, like, low-grade anxiety which is very much affecting their lives, and they've never had a panic attack. So they're like, oh, like, I'm just a little weird and crazy. Like, it's not a real thing. Like, mine isn't as bad as yours is, so I can't complain. And you can absolutely complain and seek help. And your anxiety, no matter the scale, just with any illness, is valid. And you should not feel like it's better or worse than anybody else's and let that affect how you treat it, so to speak. Thank you for saying that. That's really, really huge. And that's why we share our spirals at the beginning of each episode to show that you know, whether Serena's spiraling over something that has to do with her book launch, it doesn't mean that she's not super grateful and psyched about her book coming out, but it doesn't minimize the fact that, like, she's feeling anxiety. And I might be spiraling about the fact that, like, I can't find an apartment, which, like, might seem more scary in the moment. But, like, what we're feeling physically might be very, very similar. And we can acknowledge that, like, if we're not allowed to talk about the things that make us feel weird, then we're just going to feel alone. Which is the last thing that we want, especially given your podcast and this podcast. (laughs) Great note to end it on. So really, thank you both for doing this podcast here with me today, but also for having Spiraling and being so open and vulnerable to have the conversations that you do on the show. So how can people find Spiraling? iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen download it. Let us know what you think. Keep in touch with us. We're taking questions, too. We have an email that people can find information about this. We'll probably do more seasons and Q&As. And we're really excited and psyched to be doing it. Awesome. And your personal businesses that you're doing, I know, Serena, you have a book Serena's that will book. be out. Buy Serena's book. I'm, I'm also, I moonlight as Serena's hype girl, which <laughs> I, I should get like a t-shirt. So how about this? Katie, tell us about Great. Serena's book. <laughs> she worked, okay, you guys, she worked so hard on it. It's so amazing. I got to see, I think the first copy yes, ever. ever. I got to flip through it yesterday. She's a fantastic chef. She made a dinner party the other day, and she's such a great cook. She's cringing. This is causing her anxiety right now. (laughs) But it's honestly, genuinely, like, whether you cook or not, buy this book. Give it as a gift. It's so 
well done and beautiful. And if you liked her last book, you'll love this one even more. It's called The Dude Diet Dinner Time, and there are photos of her and Logan in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, I want to call him. Thank you. I will now hype Katie. Katie's podcast, Let It Out. There are hundreds of episodes. You could listen to them for years. And they're so wonderfully vulnerable. And I learn something every time I listen to them. And I feel like I'm just hanging out with her and whoever she's talking to, which is the best possible feeling. She also has a podcast course. You know, she has different sessions of it, but you should enroll in that for sure if you're considering starting a podcast. And then she also does cool events and shit, so you should follow her on Instagram just in case, you know, she's updating you on those things, which she usually is. They're both just our names. Our names Serena yeah. Wolf and Katie Serena Dillow. Serena G. Wolf. People forget oh, about that. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't even read it's it. My middle as initial. That. Serena Wolf was taken. I'm like a Japanese anime character. Really? Or yeah. Huh. <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world to us. Visit madevisiblestories.com to check out our writing workshops, corporate offerings, and more information that can help you in navigating life with an invisible illness. Follow Made Visible Stories on Instagram. See you next week.